Good morning, church. It has been a good morning already, has it been for you? Man, you know, in Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews says that when we come to the Lord, we should bring a sacrifice of praise. And a sacrifice of praise is something that I bring to the Lord, not something that the church brings to me. It's something that I bring to the Lord, and, uh, and it's costly. And so whenever you and I gather to worship, it, we should set our hearts to bring to him the fruit of our lips, a sacrifice of praise. Would you pray with me as we begin to study this morning? Father, we come to you today just as we are. We are ordinary human beings. There are many of us here who know you already as our Father, and we are praising you today because of the relationship that we have with you, because you have rescued us. Father, as we open up your word, our heart desire is that you would speak to us. And so we pray that you would unclog in our minds uh, our spiritual ears, that you would turn our hearts back to you, and that we would not only sense your presence here today, but we would hear your voice clearly. So teach us, we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. I want to hear God. It's the title of this morning's message, I want to hear God. If you're new with us today, we are just about halfway through a series of studies on experiencing God together. And this study is based on an older course called Experiencing God, published some 25 years ago now. And that course, we're actually teaching it on Sunday night. We invite you to come back. If you haven't been to one of those sessions and you say, well, I've missed too many already, it's not too late. Come, get a book, these daily uh, devotions in this little book that we're using on Sunday night. Uh, there are all kinds of facets and details and ways that God speaks that uh, you don't want to miss. And so if you are coming today for the very first time, we invite you to just to jump in, feet and all, and to gain from this everything that God would have for you experiencing God together. There's a little chart that we've been looking at each week that describes the, uh, the seven realities of experiencing God. We have looked at three of them already. The first one is that God is at work in the world around you. He is vitally interested in every person that you know, including you, and he wants to bring them into a relationship with himself. We also have seen in a second reality that God desires a relationship with you and me. He pursues you for this relationship, a love relationship. And when you are in that relationship, then the third reality comes into play, and that is that we discover that God is inviting us to join him in his work, that we don't need to be just preoccupied with what we think life is about and what we think will give us meaning, but we actually get to be a part of the greatest work in history in our day when we accept his invitation to join him in his work. But there are, very, there are specifics about that process, and it is absolutely essential that we understand that God wants to speak to you and me, and that's reality number four. And it is this, that God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. That's, when God, that's what God is doing when he speaks to you and me. He wants to reveal you to him, uh, reveal himself to you. 
He wants you to know him. He wants that relationship with you to deepen. He wants to reveal his purposes. What is it that he wants you to do? His work. How do you join him in that work? He wants to reveal his purpose and then his ways. God didn't call you to understand what he wants and then you go try to figure out how to do it. He has very specific ways that he wants us to go about his work. When God told Noah to build the ark, he gave him a detailed plan. When God got through speaking to him, he knew exactly what to do next. When God spoke about building the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the people knew exactly what they were supposed to do. When God told Abraham to leave his country, he said, I'm, it didn't look like very much. He didn't give him very much information, but he gave him the first step, and he said, and, I, and I'm going to show you the country where I want you to go. And so we take that first step, and then God begins to show us more and more. So it is essential that you and I recognize when God is speaking and what he is saying to us when he speaks. Now, the primary way he speaks is by his Holy Spirit. And, um, and the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an it. He's not an impersonal force. Um, sometimes we speak of him that way, but he is a person. He is God. He is fully God. He speaks. He's to be obeyed. He can be wounded. The Bible says he can be grieved by our actions and things that we say. And the Holy Spirit lives inside every Christian. Every person here that knows Christ, who's genuinely been saved, born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. I want you to see something that Jesus said about that in John chapter 16. And I've got seven verses we're going to look at in the course of this morning. And the first one we're going to look at is John 16, verse 13. And uh, he speaks in many ways, God speaks in many ways, but always by his Holy Spirit. I want us to see what Jesus says about that. John 16, verse 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, that's a promise from our Savior. Does Jesus keep his promises? Amen. Of course he does. He keeps his promises. And he says when the Holy Spirit's come, he will guide you in all truth. Look at what he says next. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now, Jesus just packed a whole lot into those verses. He's telling us that the Holy Spirit back in verse um, 13, that whatever he hears, he will speak. In other words, he's not speaking on his own as kind of an independent um, being within the Trinity. He is actually, his assignment is to speak what Jesus has told him to say. And so the, the Lord instructs the Holy Spirit to speak to you and me. And then it is the Holy Spirit's task to touch your heart and mind with the truth. And for you to understand it, that's his role, that's his purpose. Jesus goes on and says that he will glorify me. And so right away I got to understand that when the Spirit is speaking to me, and when I pray and when I read the Word and all those things, sometimes I can get pretty selfish in that, in that activity. And I can make it all about me and what I want, and what's going to solve my problems and what's going to make me happy. But he says the Holy Spirit's task is to glorify who? Me? No. 
His task is to bring attention to the Lord Jesus. And so when he speaks to us, we can expect that the things he says to us are going to be about ways that we can serve and bring honor and glory and attention to Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is vital to this process. Henry Blackaby said, if a Christian does not know when God is speaking, he is in trouble at the heart of his Christian life. When we don't know when God is speaking, we're in trouble at the heart of a Christian life. Now, that reality that we're studying today tells us that God speaks in, by the Holy Spirit through four particular channels. Now, if you study the Bible, you'll see that God speaks many, many different ways. Rarely does he speak the same way twice. There's only one burning bush, for example. You know, sometimes we talk about my burning bush experience. There was only one burning bush. God didn't have, doesn't do that, didn't do that again anywhere else in Scripture. But anyway, there are four ways. If I took all the ways that God speaks, they fall into four categories or channels that God uses. One is the Bible. The other is prayer. We're going to look at this. Okay, the Bible, prayer. And then he speaks to the church. And I'm going to use the expression God's people to help us understand that, God's people. And, uh, and then the last one is circumstances. God speaks through circumstances circumstances. And so these are the different ways that God speaks. Now you say, well, pastor, I, I believe you. I've been a Christian for a while. And, and I understand I can read in the Bible and see that God speaks in different ways. But why am I not hearing God? I want to hear God. But why am I not hearing God myself in my life? Well, I want you to think with me just a moment. If it's true that God speaks by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit primarily speaks through these four channels, the Bible, prayer, God's people, and circumstances, then it stands to reason that if I'm not hearing God, something is impeding me. Something is in the way. Something is causing difficulty. If I really want to hear God, something is broken and so I want us to take each of these four areas, Bible, prayer, God's people, circumstances, how God speaks, I want us to think about them for just a moment. And uh, we'll, we'll do a couple things with each one. We're going to see how God speaks through that way, but also want us to see how it can break, how it can break down if I don't understand how God speaks through that particular channel. So let's take the Bible first. Let's take the Bible first, and I want you to, to uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. You know, we know John 3.16, a lot of us do, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells you about the Bible. And uh, I want you to see something about that. Now, when, when God speaks to us through the Bible, one thing you need to understand, I made this box a little larger because the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to you and me. In fact, if I, if I was going to label it, I'd say most of the way, most of the time when God speaks to us, it's going to involve Scripture. And so we had this incredible resource to us in that God gave us His Word. Now, I want you to see what the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy 3.16. Look at what it says, all right? All Scripture, how much of it? Is given by inspiration of God. Now, we could just stop right there because inspiration of God is actually one word in the original language. It's a Greek word. 
theonoustos. And the first part of that word, theo, means God. And uh, we use that when we talk about theology. Anything that's an ology is a study of something. Geology is a study of the earth. Uh, theology is a study of theo, study of God. And so theo refers to God. Neustos means breath. And so he says all Scripture is the breath of God. All Scripture is God speaking. And that's powerful. That means when I open the Scripture, it's not like a novel that I pick up in a store. Well, it's a good story here and there. But when I open the Scripture, I can come expecting that God has spoken and that God is speaking to me. And when you and I open the Scripture like that, everything changes. Well, he goes on and he says, um, it's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for four things. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many good works will he be equipped for? Every good works. I'm not opposed to education. I'm not opposed to degrees. I'm not opposed to going to school. I'm not opposed to reading other books. But the Bible says of itself that if I will come to the Scripture and understand that God is speaking to me in the Scripture, I can be equipped for everything that God wants me to do in my life. Equipped for every good work. Not some of them. All of them. I want you to imagine a path. A path in the woods. A path in the forest. And this path represents your life and all that God has for you and wants you to experience in life. And, and so when he talks about the Bible, that it's God-breathed, he said it's suitable for four things. And I want you to understand how the Bible relates to your life by looking at each of those words briefly. It's suitable for doctrine. It's useful or profitable for doctrine. Doctrine are those basic things that you need to know about life and life with God and life as God intended and the way that God made you and so forth. Doctrine is the path. Doctrine is the path. Now, reproof, the Bible tells you what the path is. This is the way you ought to go. This is what life is about. This is why God made you. This is why you're on earth. Doctrine is the path. Reproof is when the Bible tells you that you've gotten off the path. That's reproof. Correction is when the Bible tells you how to get back on the path. And instruction in righteousness is when the Bible tells you how to stay on that path. And so the Bible is God speaking and guiding you through all of those ins and outs of life, but ultimately to stay on the path that he has for you. But sometimes something gets broken if God speaks through the Scripture. I think it's pretty obvious to see how something can go wrong. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in a relationship with someone. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking before you got married, if you're married and so forth. And you meet this person, and you fall in love, and you decide together that you're going to get married. And this other person has to leave for a while. Maybe they go overseas. Maybe they go away with their job. Maybe they are, uh, just have a work assignment, whatever the case is. They have to leave for a while. And you're in love, and you're going to get married, and that person leaves. So what do you do? Well, you start writing them. You write letters. And you're writing them letters, and you're telling them how much they mean to you. You're telling them 
things about yourself that are important because you're not together, so you're explaining that to them, who, who you really are and what they need to know about you because you're planning to be together and you're in love and you have this relationship and, and you're, you're sharing some very important things that they need to know to have a relationship with you. But you don't get anything back. Not a single letter. No communication. No phone call, no text. Nothing. No Skype, no FaceTime, none of those things. And a whole year goes by, 12 months, and this person comes back, and they're all smiles, they're all happy, they're all excited, they, they see you, they're still in love, and they want to get married. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I wrote a bunch of letters to you. I know, they say, I know I got those letters. I wrote all those letters to you. I told you things that you needed to know about me, that you needed to know about us, and you needed to know my dreams for us and my hopes for us, and I I shared all that with you. Did you not get my letters? Yes, I got the letters, but I was so busy. I didn't have time. I didn't even open them. God has written you. A letter. And the reason you are not hearing God may be because you have unopened mail. And he has much he wants to say to you. But you're not hearing him because you're not reading his word. The second area, the Bible. After the Bible, I got the, the word prayer up here, prayer. And uh, to help us understand prayer, I want to call your attention to John 17, the first three verses. John 17 and the first three verses. And there's some insight here I think will help you understand prayer, maybe in a radically new way. John 17, the first three verses. Jesus, this is called his high priestly prayer. He, he, it is the night before he is going to die for you and me, for our sins. In the course of this prayer, his disciples are overhearing this prayer. And listen to what Jesus says. John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. And you know, that's what Jesus was all about, was bringing glory to the Father. And then he says, As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want us to look at those verses. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can look at at the screen. I want you to look at the... um, The end of verse 2, where he says that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. I want you to start with that thought, to as many as you uh, have given him. That's just saying that the Father, if you're a Christian today, he's saying that the Father gave you to the Son. And the Son's going to give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. Do you know that the Father gave you, if you know Jesus, that the Father gave you to Jesus? 
I know that raises all kinds of questions about sovereignty, about free will, and you may really be struggling with that this morning, but let me, let me just kind of put your heart at ease, okay? In John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so for anyone to come to God or be asking questions about God, if you're here today and you're asking questions about who is God, who is Jesus, the only way that that is even possible is if the Father is drawing you to Jesus. If you run into somebody at school or at work and they're asking questions about God, you know right away that's something only God can do, and you know that's where God is at work, and so you can immediately, you should perk up and take an interest in that person because that's something only God does. And so he says, he says, let me just read it because I can't get it straight because I'm going backwards. I like things that go backwards. I eat things that go backwards. I saw an old deacon in Mississippi years ago before I moved to Louisiana. And um, he knew we were moving to Louisiana. And I said, have you ever eaten crawfish? He said, Lord, no, I don't eat anything that runs backwards. Well, I do. Okay, as many as you've given him. That he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. So the Father's giving us to Jesus, but what is Jesus doing? Jesus is giving eternal life to us. Now, for a lot of us, that's where we stop. We don't we don't think much beyond that. I trusted Jesus. I, I gave him my heart, my allegiance. I have trusted him for his salvation. He has saved me. He has given me eternal life. But do you know what eternal life is? In verse 3, he says this. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and his Son, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, so the picture is is that God gives us to the Son, and the Son is giving us eternal life, and eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. So what that tells me is that what is preoccupying Jesus about you right now, what he wants to accomplish in your life, apart from anything else that he's doing, what he wants to accomplish in your life is to bring you into a relationship with the Father so that there is an experiential intimacy between you and him. That's what God has looked to Jesus to do. I've given them eternal life. What is it? Not just living forever. It's Jesus bringing us into a relationship with the Father. No matter what else is happening in your life, that's what Jesus wants to accomplish. He wants you to know the Father. He wants you to enjoy the Father. He wants you to experience the Father's love. And one of the great ways he does that is through prayer. And um, you say, well, how can I be sure that when God speaks to me that, um, I mean, what is prayer all about? Well, if Jesus is bringing me into a relationship with the Father, then clearly prayer is supposed to be a two-way relationship. A relationship where I say things to God and where God says things to me. Uh, I come to God, I speak to God, he tells me to come 
Uh, doesn't matter what condition I am. He understands I'm messy. He understands I'm weary. He understands I'm weighted down. He understands I'm broken. He understands I'm messed up. And he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so that's my part. I come to him, and what do I do when I get there? I unburden my heart. Peter teaches us to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. And so he wants me to come to him and tell him what's wrong, tell him what's broken, tell him what your needs are, tell him what's going on. He wants me to do that. That's part of the relationship. But listen, that's only half of it. That's only one part of the relationship. He also wants to speak to me. And dear one, let me tell you, that's the most important part and probably the most neglected part. And I tell you, that's where you and I get in trouble with prayer. Is we spend all the time talking and not enough time listening. Now, when Jesus teaches us about prayer, in uh, Matthew 6, uh, we have the occasion where he teaches the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. It's, it's how we are to pray. In Matthew 6, verse 9, he said, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, and that immediately speaks to your relationship with the Father. You are his child, and he wants you to come to him as freely and openly and honestly and transparently as a child. Our Father... Uh, the one in heaven, hallowed be your name. And literally, as I've wrestled with that passage for years, literally, hallowed be your name means your name, let it be made holy. I want your name to be big, Lord. I want your name to be magnified. He goes on and he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom, let it come. Your name, let it be made holy. Your kingdom, let it come. And then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about me. It's not about my agenda. It's about his will. It's about his agenda. And so it takes the focus off of me. Now Jesus models this for us. When he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was going to die, just before he was going to be arrested, you remember he went in there to pray. He knows what's coming. The Father has revealed it to him. He knows about the cross. And this is what happens, Luke 22, verse 42. Father, he taught us to call him Father. Father. If it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm not wild about the cross. I mean, who would be? If you had a glimpse of what was coming, would you be excited about the cross? And he says, Lord, if it's possible, take this. I'm not into the cross. Take this away from me. This is tough, if it's possible. But then he says immediately. I'm not ultimately interested in what I want. Father, I'm ulti ultimately interested in what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. So one of the reasons I think we get in trouble with prayer is because we're doing all of the talking and not enough listening. In order to be surrendered to him, one of the best ways you can surrender to the Lord is to listen, to wait on him. You say, does he really speak in prayer? And Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, um, and when he speaks, he will never contradict his word. Um, in John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so Jesus intended that you would hear his voice. He, he said you would hear his voice. And the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us throughout the book of Acts. You can't read the book of Acts and not see over and over again. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, spoke to Philip spoke to Peter, um, spoke over and over again to those, those saints in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit speaks. And uh, 
But listen, when he speaks, because I'm human and because I can get my will mixed up with God's will and because I may only hear what I want to hear, I need something to help me. The Bible will help me. The Holy Spirit will apply the truth, touch my heart and mind, and apply the truth to it, and he will never speak to me in a way that contradicts God's written word. Somebody comes to you, and I've had this happen. Someone comes to you and says, Pastor, I've been praying. You know, if you tell someone you prayed about it, you can get away with just about anything. It's really hard to argue with somebody when they say they prayed. But this person says, look, Pastor, I prayed about it, and I've come to the conclusion that the woman I married was not the one God intended me to marry. They're just not right for me. And God has someone better for me. And so I prayed about it, and I believe that's the will of God. Pastor, what do you think? I say, I can tell you without any hesitation, you are absolutely wrong. That was not from God. Because in Mark 10 and other places, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart or put us under. It is never the heart of God that your marriage come to an end. God wants to work and build you and teach you and grow you through the toughest experiences of your life. And in your case, it may be your marriage. But God doesn't want you to quit or give up. And so, um, and so he, he, is, he is always going to make sure that what he says to you in prayer is going to agree with his word. And when the two agree, you can have confidence that you've heard God. You can have confidence that you've heard him. Well, let's look at the third area. The third area is God's people. God uh, speaks by his Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, and uh, in the order he's got, uh, he says circumstances and then the church. Let me pick up the church next, and I'll explain why in a moment. But the church represents the body of Christ. Each of us are placed here at his will. The Bible tells us that every person that's part of Wind Baptist Church, he put here for a particular purpose and a particular reason. Now, you may not be paying attention to that purpose or reason, but you're here for that. And, um, and so, when it comes to the people of God, uh, he typically confirms what he's saying to you through somebody else. Uh, beware that person that comes to you and says, God has told me you need to do X, Y, Z. Uh, typically, that's not how God speaks through people. More often than not, you have read something in the Word, you have been praying about it, you have a sense of God's leading, and you go talk to somebody who's wise, someone who's godly, someone who walks with God, someone who has experience walking with God, and they hear what you're saying and they say, you know, I can, I can affirm that, and, and here's why. Uh, but that's usually not how it happens. Now, the scripture I want you to see is Proverbs 12:15. The church are God's people, Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Um, the problem is we typically don't go for wise people to talk to. How many times have you seen someone whose marriage is in trouble go and get advice from somebody whose marriage is in trouble? They are not the rocket scientists of marriage you should be getting advice from. When you are seeking the will of God, you want somebody who is wise in the scriptures. Someone who has applied and has a, a track record of applying the scripture to the life. And, uh, and you say, well, pastor, you know, are you saying I can't learn something? I want to learn how to fly a plane. You mean I have to go talk to a Christian about how to fly a plane? No, I'm talking about that. Uh, we can learn a lot of things from a lot of people, but listen, when you're making a determination regarding what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, 
you don't want to talk to just anybody. You want to talk to somebody who is godly, who walks with God, and who knows his word. And so we should be seekers of wisdom. And when we recognize that somebody seems to be regularly hearing God, I want to talk to that man. I want to talk to that woman. And listen, when Baptist Church, we got a truckload. We do. We are blessed. We've got some people who have walked with God for a long time. We've got some people that pray. We've got some people that love him. We've got some people that know the scriptures, and they are people that you can talk to. And, uh, and maybe this week you might just be working through something and say, God, would you show me just one person that I could go talk to about what's happening in my life and see what God does. And then the fourth area are circumstances. Circumstances. Uh, the reason we may have trouble with the Bible is I'm not reading it. I may have trouble with prayer if I do all the talking, and I'm not listening. I'm going to have a lot of trouble with God's people if I go to the wrong people, okay? And then when it comes to circumstances, I need to understand something really significant about circumstances. Circumstances are a really hard way to find out the will of God. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, almost just a passing statement by the apostle. But look at what he says. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. Now think about that last phrase. I'm going to stay on, oh goody goody, because there are many who oppose me. That didn't bother him in the, in the least. He wasn't at all disturbed by that or discouraged by that. Uh, I know one incident in Corinth where he got, he, got, he got beat up and people around him got beat up and, and God, the Lord Jesus, appeared to him in the night and said, look, you can, you're going to be all right in this city. I've got many people here. You can stay here. And because Paul looked at his circumstances properly, he determined that God wanted him to stay instead of leave. See, circumstances are a really hard way to understand God. Most of the time when something happens to you and me, what we do is we look through our circumstances to try to understand something about God. You're going to get so confused that way. For example, something bad happens, and I look through the circumstance to try to understand God. What am I going to conclude? God doesn't love me. God's not happy with me. God's out to get me. Uh, and so on. And that would be a total error, total mistake. We know that God loves us, don't we? He's always demonstrated for us ultimately in the cross. It says in Romans 5 that he's demonstrated for us forever his love in this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, so everything can be going wrong. Everything can be broken. Everything can be messed up. What you do with circumstances, though, is you don't look through your circumstances to understand God. You do what you can to get God's perspective and look through God's eyes at your circumstances. That's the only way Paul could have stayed where he was staying. It's the only way, is if he had gotten God's perspective on what he was doing. Because there was opposition, and there was trouble, and there was difficulty. Let me give you another example. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. You all remember the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors? Uh, Joseph, when he was young, had a dream that God gave to him that one day he would be really important and that he was going to be important to his family and that God was going to use him to rescue his family. 
And then what happened next? He got thrown into a pit by his loving brothers. He got sold into slavery in Egypt. He was a servant in a guy's house and got falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit and got thrown into prison. And when he was in prison, he did some stuff for people and they forgot all about what he did for them. And then ultimately, he did come out of the prison. He became the second chair guy in all of Egypt and God did use him to rescue his family, rescue his brothers. And his family could have looked at that. I tell you, the average Baptist, about halfway through that experience, we would have said, I have missed the will of God. We would. God has canceled his will for me. I'm out of this. This is not right. But, but Joseph didn't look at his circumstances that way, did he? He went to God to understand his circumstances. In Genesis 50, he said, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And the only way he could have understood his circumstances that way was if he got God's perspective. All those things that went wrong, it wasn't God canceling his will. It was God working out his will. So what tends to happen is most of us, I'm afraid, most of us live right here, just with our circumstances. And something happens. And we try to understand what in the world is God doing. Well, you may go to church and you may sit in a Sunday school class. You may do that kind of stuff. But, but as you're trying to understand what God is saying, you're saying, God, what are you trying to tell me? This is happening. This is happening. And we're, we're trying to understand God through our circumstances. And if we really get in trouble, then we turn prayer on. Oh, God. And, and uh, we go to prayer after circumstances. And we go to prayer and we say, God, help and you don't hear anything and you wonder why doesn't God say anything to me doesn't he love me doesn't he care about me and let me tell you what's wrong and why circumstances can get so broken for you and me is we get all of this out of order you see I believe with all my heart that what God wants us to do is to hear him through his word he wants us to experience him in prayer and learn to recognize his voice in prayer it is cultivated it is learned over time you don't automatically recognize his voice every time And so we learn to recognize his voice, especially as his word agrees with what he says to us. And then we often will turn, and we should turn, to God's people for confirmation of what God is saying. I believe God's saying this to me. What do you think? You know, this brother, this sister who loves the Lord, who who is wise in the scriptures and who walks with him, what do you think? And then as circumstances unfold, often God will confirm what's happening through your circumstances. But don't start here. Don't start here. Or you're not going to hear God. <laughs> or what you hear is going to be messed up. There are too many ways to interpret it, okay? So how do you need to respond to the Lord today? Maybe you need to say, Father, I realize now I've got an unopened mail, and I want to spend more time learning to hear you in your word. Lord, I want to encounter you in your word. And so... This morning, your response may be, you could come up here and pray. You could pray right where you are, but you could just say, God, I realize now that one of the great ways you speak to me, I have neglected. Or maybe you need to spend more time with him. You're not, you're not praying, or maybe you're praying in a way where you're doing all the talking, and you're not waiting on him. You're not seeking to bless him. You're not seeking to love him. You're not seeking to praise him. 
And you've got to learn to let the other half of the relationship develop and to grow. Maybe you just need to pause and just say, you know, I'm working through some things, and I've read Scripture, I've read prayer. I think I know what God wants, but I need to talk to someone. And God, would you show me that person I need to talk to this week to help me sort this out? Or maybe you're right in the thick of it right now. What I described is not hypothetical to you. You're going through a real tough time right now, and you're trying to understand what God is saying or what God is doing. Could you just pray in these moments? Say, God, help me from your, through your word. Help me through prayer. Help me through a godly counselor to understand my circumstances. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear God. If you don't know him today, the Holy Spirit does not live in you. And if the Holy Spirit is not in you, you are missing the equipment that God gave you so that you might hear his voice. And this morning, I want to invite you to come and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He will forgive your sins, he will wash them clean, and he will put his spirit inside of you. Will you receive him today? Pray with me.